Winds in the east, mist coming in, like something is brewing, about to begin. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today, I'm being joined by none other than Jesse from I Dream of Jesse. How are you, my dear? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. I am excited. This is a jam-packed episode of goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, so for starters, we're starting off with an amazing episode of I Dream of Jesse. Uh, I have... (laughs) I'm so lucky. I get to hear these segments before you, the audience, get to hear them and sort of enjoy, bask in the knowledge before anyone else gets a taste. And uh, that kind of feels good. And it feels really good with this episode. This was really good when I was, um, I've never, here's what I love about your segment, Jesse. Yep. I'll put it like this. Here's what I love. What do you love? Besides you, Aww. I love uh, I love how your mind works. My mind does not work the way your mind works. Uh, you can put things together and communicate them in a way that is truly brilliant. And uh, this episode is uh, nothing shy of that. So thank you for that. I know everyone's going to love it. There's a, there's a fine line between brilliance and insanity. Just remember that. <laughs> it's true that, yo. <laughs> Um, okay, and so after that, uh, I got a commentary from a listener um, talking about Old Nick's Peep Show, how it's too commercial and it's not really as much about Old Nick as it is promoting Old Nick, which, duh, I mean, yeah, that's kind of what it is. But um, we took some critiques and we are going to give you a little bit about uh, sort of the beginning of Old Nick. Um, you know what? I, I'm, fuck it, I didn't mention this. Uh, Jesse, before I start saying anything else... This is episode 17. What are you, what's the what's the topic here? I've already fucking yacked on about how good it is. <laughs> uh, goal setting for a fleshly life. Mm. I wonder how many people read that the first time in the Satanic Bible and said fleshy life. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I need to eat more? Is that what? Well, you know, that's gluttony <laughs> is one of the seven deadly sins, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I need more flesh, honey. Why? Well, Anton Levay says I have to live a fleshy, fleshy life. I need more skin. <laughs> That, that flab under my arms, I'm growing it. I'm cultivating. I need more flab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that, that's a good one, uh, for real. So, uh, Old Nick Peep Show is uh, coming up after that, and that's going to be episode 12. And it's, again, we're just talking about sort of the beginning of Old Nick, and then we sort of just wax back and forth as we always do, which is always a lot of fun. And we're closing it out. Um, this segment has been getting a lot of requests for further episodes because it's not uh, a monthly segment. I mean, it's really just whenever the next one is ready, we run it. And this is the Satanic Tradition, mm-hmm. episode three. And so this is sort of a follow-up. I take it you like it? I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love this one. It's really good. Um, uh, these, oh, God. Okay, so here's... <laughs> the Satanic Tradition is sort of what Nine Cents would be if I had the knowledge. 
and it was only like 20 minutes. Like I, these are so great. They're, they're completely packaged by, um, Reverend Merciless. No one else has any fingers in the pudding here. It's all him. And he does a really, really wonderful job. He puts in the time to study it and he puts in the time to, to write it up. Um, and these are going to be, uh, ultimately posted in other places. I, it's not finalized yet. And so I don't want to say anything about it, but just know that they're going to be available in, in, um, other places other than just listening to it here on Nine Cents. Transcripts will be posted in other places. So be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, this is the Ritual Elements Part 2 episode, and I gave it a listen twice, and I had to listen to it again because it was so goddamn good. It, it touches on a number of things that we here at Nine Cents have touched on before, uh, over four years. This has distilled them down into uh, a really wonderful, truly original segment, and I think you guys are going to truly, truly just dig it. I mean, it's, it's going to be awesome, so look forward to that at the tail end of the show. Uh, but as per usual, before we start, I've got a couple notes. I'm not sure where to start. I'm going to I'm gonna end with the sad one. I'm going to start with some uh, Q&A requests here. Um, so, Jesse, you know uh, October is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know, as far as Nine Cents is concerned, what that means? I suspect you've got a Greater Magic episode coming up. Winner, winner, chicken, dinner. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. And as per every Greater Magic episode, I never divulge the guests until we're right ready to air it. You know, like a week or two beforehand. Um build up a little bit mystery, but to be quite honest, I don't want you tailoring the questions to the individuals that are appearing. I want you to tailor them to the subject and then being surprised by who answers your questions. Uh, and I have two, uh, how, how far do I want to go with this? I have two individuals, we'll say that, mm-hmm. that are going to fucking excite every single person that ever listens to this show and people that hate this show because they don't like me or whatever other reason they don't listen to this show they're gonna tune in to listen to these two individuals so prepare yourselves people this is gonna be a really good greater magic episode it's gonna be released at the same time halloween week and the topic of this one and this is the point I'm getting to here. I need your questions, listener questions. Now, I'm going to obviously put together my own questions and put together a really kick-ass show, but I want you all to be a part of it. And I want you to have a direct line of communication uh, feedback between these individuals that normally you don't get. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is just kind of what we do for these episodes. You send me your questions about Greater Magic, and these other individuals answer them, and you get answers that you would not ever get any other way. Uh, the topic this time is customizing rituals and creating your own ritual. So it goes a little bit further than customizing existing rituals as outlined in the Satanic Bible. Uh, little influenced by satanic rituals, so uh, it's going to be a really good one. I mean, in the past episodes, we've covered the basics. We've covered what greater magic is. Uh, we've covered some of the, the more uh, entertaining what-ifs of greater magic. But now we're going to get into how you can own it. And uh, this is really important, and it's got some really wonderful guests. So look forward to that. Shoot your questions off to me, info at 9centspodcast.com. Uh, questions about greater magic in general, questions about customizing existing rituals, and then questions about creating your own. It's going to be great. Um, Jesse, I'll tell you as soon as we turn off. <laughs> I get to know. No one else gets to know. Um, and then, uh, of course, in the news, in the global news, I'll say, um, 
uh, Magistrate Blanche Barton has released a new edition of The Secret Life of a Satanist. So, Jesse, I'm sure you've read the first one. I have. And have you seen the um, the notes for this new one yet? I, I saw something about it today, and I, I dropped it in my Amazon basket. I haven't bought it yet, but... Yeah, I'm waiting until the end of next week, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get make... the I don't want to get the Kindle. I, I'm not big on Kindle. I like physical I, things, me, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, especially when it comes to I don't know. This is just for me, but when it comes to like s- Satanism books, I I need the physical book. <laughs> like I'm I'm obsessed with that. Do you write like, in I, them? Because I usually write in them. You know what? To be honest, I I don't. I just make a lot of like page turning notes and I have bookmarks and stuff like that, but I don't actually like scribble in them at all. I'm not averse to it. It's just, I've, I've never really taken notes that way. So. Hey, that's a thing. It's a personal thing. Yeah. It makes the book. So what kind of, it, so. Curiosity here. What, what kind of notes do you take? Oh, sometimes it's just like, you know, you, you read something and it relates to something in your past. So you make a note of it right there and then the next time you know if you read the book a year later you're like oh yeah 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 i remember why that meant something different to me but you know this time i'm reading it it means this to me mm. and just over the years if you go through the book enough times it's it just really kind of broadens my understanding of it or sometimes i'll even write questions if something just you know i don't know what it means yeah like with the anakian keys i've got all kinds of questions i still don't know what a lot of that stuff means but ooh secrets uh you're gonna love this satanic tradition just saying <laughs> you're gonna love it <laughs> um yeah I, I love that idea i honestly i would imagine uh just because the way i like i just kind of doodle sometimes and i think i think the late doctor would appreciate this idea i think it'd be kind of funny to have like a little marilyn monroe figurine like walk onto like the bottom edge of a page as you flip through the book her skirt like lifts up like like something like obviously like a vent in the traditional sense and then it like pans left and you see someone like some dude like farting or something and that's what's lifting up her skirt and stuff it's just sort of like tongue-in-cheek gross goofy kind of uh <laughs> You know, yeah. I used to draw those in books as a kid. It was not that Marilyn Monroe, but I would like draw some two people walking and then a car crashing into one of them. And I, I used yeah. to make those cartoons through books. Probably annoyed the stuff. hell out of my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they always have to rebuy the school books throughout your whole scholastic career at the paper because you've written in them all. Oh, now I, I love that. It's it's just fun stuff. Of course, you know, not every. Everyone is into it or has the patience for one. I mean, you have to you have to really sort of do a lot of back and forth page flipping to get it right. But that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would end up doing rather than taking notes about it. I'm one of those people that I, I love to go back and reread things so that I can uh, understand them in different contexts of my life, you know, whatever's going on. Um, but I, should, I probably should take notes because I never really compare and contrast to where I was and because our memories are so manufactured on the spot they're so poor um, it might be interesting to see what I was really thinking back then so maybe you know what maybe you're going to inspire me maybe I should do this um, either way I, mean, I don't even know how we got from this tangent uh, the new <laughs> the, there's a new edition of the secret life of a Satanist so it just it was just released it was just announced on the news.churchofsatan.com uh, tumblr page and then obviously if you go to the churchofsatan.com website you're going to see the news there as well and a link to the Amazon so you can buy the Kindle and you can buy the, the physical book um, and basically what it is is a uh, sort of a continuation from when it was originally written to now 
you know, sort of filling in the gaps, maybe updating some information. But the obviously it's it's the the historical life of uh, Anton LaVey, and so that's not going to fundamentally change um, up until the point that it was written. But from that moment moment on till his passing and beyond, those. Uh, new chapters will be in it. And so if you are a fan of Satanism or Anton LaVey, then you're obviously going to want to check this out. And that's really why I'm bringing it up because it's such a big deal. I'm I'm definitely going to be picking this up at the end of next week. Uh, It's going to be a great one. So looking forward to that. Um, And I don't know, Jesse, do you listen to the podcast? Never. This podcast? (laughs) Yes, I listen. On the off chance that you did. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) So last week I was like, I lost my shit over this stupid fucking douchebag that I was working with. I, I, it really bothered me. It got to the point where I was physically angry and I knew that that was a little bit too far. And so I sort of, you know, addressed this individual, um, letting them know where I was. And then I called up the dude that hired me contract work. And I was like, look, I've, I've got to be square with you. Uh, the new guy that you have is, uh, ignorant. I mean, he, he truly does not understand the job that you hired him for. It's its one thing to not have on-the-job training or experience and have the education, but he has no education nor experience. Um, I, I can, and I often do work with professionals that I don't like, but I will not work with people I don't like that aren't even professionals. Like I, I was in the military for five years. I understand working with people that you cannot handle. I am not in that position anymore and I would love to continue working with you. I love working with you guys. I really do enjoy it, but I, I will not do it if I have to work with this kid anymore. And he was like, I had no idea that was a situation. I apologize. He's off the project. Ignore everything he's ever said. Oh, that worked out well. <laughs> Super simple solution. Better than you're and off the project. <laughs> I know. Well, and then, the, I mean, this is where it comes... Obviously, for him, it was like a fucking of course. Like, either take someone that's got a decade of experience or someone with zero experience. I mean, so obviously, he's going to pick the person with experience. It has less to do with me as an individual as it does with I know what the fuck I'm doing and this other person doesn't. Um, I'm talking myself out of the good feeling. Hold on. <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, what? why would you hire someone that doesn't know what the subject of what they're being hired for. Like, was he that good of a bullshitter? And I want to bring this up one last time, just so that I can sort of pay off this idea that even you and I, Jesse, have spoken to before. Mm-hmm. That um, this kid wasn't a Satanist, but if he were a Satanist and he used lesser magic to move himself into that position, you have to be able to back up your plays here, people. Like, if you're going to utilize lesser magic or greater magic to get what you want, you better have something on the other end of that stick. Like, you better have some meat to whatever it is you're convincing other people of. Because they're going to quickly find out that you're full of shit, if not. I mean, it's, it's going to come out in the wash, like, straight up. So, I mean, what you know, this kid, he obviously snuck his way into this uh, using a little silver tongue action. Um, I don't know if it was anal or if it was vaginal. Uh, however he did it, he worked his way in. But, man, as soon as you ask him, you know, where did you get your schooling? Oh, you know, high school. Fucking bells should be going off. Like, just no. So, uh, for all of you who, who use these tactics... Uh, wisely use them wisely because make sure and this go obviously it goes to uh, men or women or whoever you're uh, trying to attract sexually as well if if part of your shtick 
is that you've got a big cock and you can fix up a, a leaky sink. You better have at least one of those two. Because <laughs> if you don't have either, you have no hope. And this it pays through to this unrealistic sense of self-worth that we also speak to on this show. Um, it's, it's incredibly important as a Satanist to be able to objectively look at your skill set and your... Uh, your 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 self-worth have an ego that reflects what you actually are made of and what you are capable of but that unrealistic sense of self-worth that i am the highest embodiment of human life simply because i ident- identify as a satanist because i i read the book and i really like it it's really cool i dig shaved heads and anton levy did i shave head well you're not really gonna pay off as a satanist i mean you <laughs> what i love about satanism uh, I'm doing all the talking here. I'm going to hand it over here in a second. What, what uh, he loves about Satanism, you get out of it what you put into it. There, did I jump in right? Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a little double dutch, like, all right, it's your turn, go. <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, it, it, it forces us to take a realistic view of ourselves rather than saying, oh, well, everything's going to work out because the church has got my back. I don't really have to work. They'll feed me. Or uh, I... It's okay, I'll just continue beating my wife because she'll just keep coming back to me. Or um, I I don't need to help those I love, I'll just continue draining them endlessly because they will do it, because that's what, air quotes, good Christians do. Uh, The sort of vampires that we've spoken to in the past. Um, Satanism forces you not to be like that. If you're going to at all be a worthwhile, productive Satanist, you will not, by definition, be that. And, and I guess this is a sort of come to Satan moment. <laughs> because if you are like that, if you are not putting in the time to reap the benefits of your life, you're you're not a Satanist. Like that, hands right. down. I guess that's as good as well, a place then. to end the rant anyway. <laughs> probably went too long. That's um, right. Well, let me ask you. I didn't have the benefit of having you on the last show. Um on the subject, do you run into this in your workplace where you just see people that just aren't up to snuff? Oh, yeah. And, and, and they have this amazing ability to think they're doing a fantastic job. And I, I don't know how they get that. Because, I mean, if you're doing the same thing as somebody else, you know, if you're the, if you're the only person that does your job, I can see thinking you're really good at it. But if you do the same thing as somebody else and they're doing like 10 times as much of it as you are, how can you think you're good at it? You know, if you're that unproductive. And I, I work with people like that, and they, they swear they're the best people in the company, and they care the most, and they do the best job. It's like, yeah, but you're doing one for every ten this guy's doing. Where does this come from? Oh. It has to be something like, like, I have to feel good about what I do, which I get. You know, everyone wants to think that they're doing a good job. But if you treat the business, whomever you're working for, as if you're just doing it for the paycheck and you're not actually passionate about what it is you're doing, well, then you are going to fall into that sort of, you know, slug zone of, oh, I'm just going to do the job and I'm the best and blah, blah, blah. But if you're invested in what you're doing, then, you know, you're going to be that guy doing it 10 times uh, more productively. Yeah. And I I also want to uh, comment on something you said there about, you know, if you if you are going to suck off good Christians because they'll take care of you because they're good Christians. <laughs> if you do that for too long, you're going to suddenly find yourself surrounded by nothing but good Christians who are all used up. 
because nobody else is going to be going to want to be around you. They're going to take one look at you, see what sort of person you are, and they'll just walk away. In the long run, that does not, I mean, in the short run, sure, that's a, a quick way to, to get a quick, cheap payoff is to use somebody who will allow themselves to be used. But in the long run, that's not a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to earning what you get. You know, you have to put in time. I mean, you have to <laughs> just being, a, I mean, we, you and I have actually spoken to this specifically about just, you know, not being a, a psychic vampire, not draining them yeah. for the sake of draining them. Yeah. It's, it's really not healthy um, for anyone. And then, you know, you're just going to end up being alone looking like a total asshat. <laughs> it's really, an asshat who just sucked off Christians. <laughs> Speaking of tongue action. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh. Hey, I got to say one, uh, one more thing about last week's episode. Oh, you did listen to it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, because I didn't, listeners probably don't know this, but I don't get to hear the intros when I record these with you. It's not until it comes out on Tuesday that I get to hear the intro. So I don't know what today's intro was. Last week's intro, though, that song, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. I dug it a lot. Really yeah, the gentleman, cool. who re- <laughs> the gentleman who recorded, he's, he's, he's an actually really fucking good working magician, uh, magician, musician. Is there a difference? Uh, he's a working musician, so that's... He's, you know, that was obviously him just calling me and playing, but yeah, it's really kind of cool. I'll have to reach out to him and see if he he's okay with me releasing information on him or not. But yeah, he he sent it. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> badass. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, good stuff. However, don't sell yourself short. The one you left the week prior, <laughs> the different deals. <laughs> everyone loves it. That was awesome. Thank oh, you I very thank much you. for that. It was very very cool. Um, okay, so hey, how about <laughs> on this up note, let's go to a down note. Oh. This sucks. This sucks really bad. So for those who have been listening to the show for a long time know that I um, we, we got a dog from a pound about three and a half years ago. And it's taken a long time for us to sort of warm up to this dog because she was abused, uh, which means that her behaviors are really, really kind of bad. Um, but we've, we eventually got her to a point where she was comfortable with us, you know, playing with us, like, you know, sort of biting and jumping around, not hard, but playfully, which for an abused dog is like impossible. So for us, it was a really big step. Like she wanted to play and we'd take her hiking and she would come to life and run around. And so, so excited. And our name's Minnie and I love her to death. Um, and so, uh, this was three days ago. I woke up, uh, let her outside to use the bathroom while I ran. And then I, and this is something I do every day. And then I went to bring her back inside after I was finished running. And this is a period of with stretching included just under an hour, you know, 45 minutes plus. And so in that time, apparently my wife found out later that there were morning lightning strikes. And I don't know any dogs that like thunder and lightning, but definitely this dog was very jumpy on any sounds and certainly with lightning. And so she, she freaked out, uh, this is what we're guessing, and she escaped the backyard, which we took a lot of care in trying to kind of prevent because we knew she was skittish if, you know, bad things were happening. So, and this is not the first time that she's gone missing, so we're kind of taking it in stride. Uh, this is the literally the third time, which is why we take such great pride in, like, in, in time in trying to sort of lock in our backyard so she can't escape if she gets spooked and 
it's weird to us because she's been so incredibly good. You know, I mean, she's she's not peed in the house, which for her was a big deal. Like you walked up to her too quick and she would pee. She was scared. She's a shih tzu and they kind of do that anyway, but she would do it, you know, sort of double time. Um, and, you know, she was sleeping in our room and she wouldn't have any accidents and she was always really great. It's it, We have this sort of ritual, her and I, where I set the coffee pot up and then I go open the back door and she comes trotting in like this little princess and her tail high and like wagon in the air. And she goes over to the kitchen. It's almost as if she's smelling the coffee that's brewing. And then she turns around and comes back to me and follows me and we sort of wake up my daughter. Then we wake up my son and we wake up my wife in sequence every single morning. It's this really kind of wonderful ritual that we have. Um, but so just to say that everything was great. And then it, it, it had to have been the lightning or something else that scared her. And she just bolted. So we, you know, we woke up and we drove around the block until we had to go to work or go to school. And then uh, we put up posters all around and we listed her at all the uh, Facebook pages and all that kind of shit around here, websites that look for strays and stuff. But because she's a cute little shih tzu and the past two times that she has run out, um, people don't turn those in. They, they keep them. You know, it's a cute little potty trained shih tzu friendly dog now. They just steal them. And in Utah, there's a $1,000 fine for harboring someone else's animal. And she has a chip in her back. And this is how we got her back the last time, where the family that stole her, but they would say, I guess, rescued her, um, took her to the Humane Society to uh, have a checkup. And they scanned her and then called us. And so, you know, they basically told the people, look, you either pay $1,000 or you leave right now. And they chose to leave, obviously. And then we got our dog back. So I'm hoping that happens again. I'm hoping she isn't hit by a fucking car. She would devastate us. But, you know, it's bad enough that, I mean, if you love animals and you have a pet that you love, it's, it's a pretty big fucking deal if they go missing or if they get hurt. You, it's, it's a family member and you care about them as such. And it, it's weird. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I dream about it. Like for the past couple of nights, I've been dreaming about her coming back, like just sort of appearing next to me. I freak out and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, like this, this horrible feeling. My son's crying over it because she's kind of his best friend. They bonded immediately. He doesn't have a ton of kids that he plays with in, in our neighborhood, like a, a small handful. And so he's always with her, playing with her, sort of, you know, messing around. My daughter, who's even a little bit rough with her sometimes, is like completely missing her. And it's it sucks as a family, but we know that because she's such a good dog that she will be picked up by someone. You know, I mean, just hands down, she has to be picked up by someone. And I'm just hoping because we live in uh, a neighborhood where generally people care about their animals. Hopefully they'll take her to the Humane Society at some point so that we can get her back. But it fucking sucks when shit like this happens. Uh, Jesse, have you ever had an animal just run out or gone missing? Yeah, our cat went missing for about a day and a half. And, oh, my God, I, I bawled. I thought for sure, because we've got, you know, coyotes and things in the area. Yeah. And I figure if a cat goes missing, that's it. It's some, it's in something's stomach. But she did come back. <laughs> Was it? <clears throat> my mom always used to do this whenever we were not where we were supposed to be, and she didn't know. Or when she came back, we were like, 
I'll kill you if you ever do that again. And you're like hugging her and petting her. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. we went. Uh, we went on vacation. We've only been on vacation once since we got the cat, and that's like eight years. But. Uh, Six years or something like that. But Big we, vacationers, I see. Yeah, um, and we were gone for like four days. But we came back and we had, you know, my husband's sister was, was coming over and feeding her and all that. But we asked the husband's sister and, and she said, well, sometimes she would see the cat. Sometimes she'd just see, you know, if the food was being eaten, but she wouldn't see the cat anywhere. So she just put more food down, whatever. We got home and, you know, we're walking around the yard calling for the cat she starts running out from under some bushes, crying like she's been tortured for the last three months. And oh, um, she just did not like us leaving at all. And it actually scared me the way she was crying. I mean, she wasn't injured or anything. It's just she was scared. And that might be part of the reason we haven't gone on vacation since. Yeah. And it's, it's really weird because I think a lot of times people think of it from their side, like... Oh, I don't want to. I'm going to miss my dog if we go do this. Um, but there, there's another living entity on the other side of that exchange. That you know, animals do miss you. Animals do bond with you, just like you bond with them. And though they may not have the the consciousness like we do to articulate it, I mean, they still feel it. You know, they still have have an emotional connection that that resonates within them. I don't think a lot of at least, I mean, until you just mentioned it, I've never thought of it in this way that my, like, for example, my chickens or my dog. Would, oh, and here's another thing. Oh, God damn, this is so fucked up. So many, my dog used to, and I, I hate saying used to because it was only been a couple of days, but she, we would let the chickens out whenever we're home. They sort of free range the backyard. Um, we have tons of like super thick lush grass, so we never have any issue with it and they kill the bugs. So it's amazing. Uh, and they've been laying eggs like crazy. So it's bananas, the amazing eggs we're getting. But my menu would, she would chase the chicken, just this one particular chicken mainly. It was like this relationship between this one chicken and Minnie and the chicken that she's connected with, uh, my daughter named her, um, Ariel, I think, but she is like the the outcast of the other three chickens. And so they all always kind of hang out together and she's kind of always on her own. And so her and Minnie have always kind of connected with each other in a weird animal way. And so like she'll chase, uh, Minnie will chase the chicken and the chicken Ariel will come back and, and like we'll, we'll have ribs or we'll have chicken or something and we'll bring it out for the dog or the, the chickens to sort of peck at the bones uh, and they'll sort of fight back and forth over it. Like, this is mine, bark, bark. And the chicken will scatter away. And then the chicken will come out, arms flapping. You know, it's got its wings making itself look super huge. And Minnie would shy away because she's all afraid. And it was just a sort of really great back and forth. And so when Minnie went missing, the chicken would come to the door and, like, peck at the door and squawk at the door. Like, where, where's Minnie? What's going on? And all day today, we have this screen that when we first got Minnie, she busted through the very bottom. And so the very bottom corner of the screen sort of flaps. The chicken like poked its head inside the little flap and came walking in the house, like looking around like, where is Minnie? Like all day. And she's been acting up like she she normally doesn't fly around and squawk a lot, but she's been doing nothing but squawking and flying around like mad, like crazy. 
Um, and we're sort of just thinking that maybe it's because her and Minnie had such a connection. Now that Minnie's gone, she's like, where's my friend? Where's my friend? So it's like affected so many other people. And, and we you know, just sort of go you know full circle here back to the, the animal's perspective. It affects them, you know? And so I, I'm sure Minnie somewhere is a little bit upset that she doesn't have her family anymore, I hope. Um, but the chickens that she's bonded with are upset that she's not there too. It's, it's weird that, it's weird that there's these, these emotional connections that are created between animals that you wouldn't on the surface think have such complex reactions, like a chicken. Like I didn't think chicken before we got him i didn't think there was really anything to it i just thought it was a stupid creature but there's so much more emotional and connected to what's going on around them than i ever would have thought and it just makes this whole experience being able to see things through other creatures eyes my kids eyes and my wife's eyes and my eyes is it compounds the frustration and the a little bit of anger and the sorrow that goes with it it's really weird um we we had yeah. We had a couple of, uh, well, we have wild turkeys that come through the yard all the time. <laughs> nice. And uh, uh, was it last year, a year before, there were two hens that came through. And one of them, we called them limpy and skittish. And <laughs> because one of them obviously had been attacked and had, you know, she, she limped. One of her legs mm-hmm. wouldn't straighten all the way. And they always traveled together. And if something scared them, Limpy would hide and Skittish would like draw attention <laughs> and, and, and draw whatever it was away from Limpy. And, and, <laughs> and it was just, I mean, we watched them for a good six months coming in and out of the yard together. And it was, you know, Limpy was slowly getting better. And I, I'm hoping that they're both still alive because I thought that was just the coolest thing is that here's two hens and one is actually protecting the other. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry about your dog though. Oh god, I hope I hope Minnie comes back. Me too, thank you. It'd be uh it'd be really fucking cool. Mm. Uh, I don't know. She is a really good dog, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone just kept her. It'd piss me off. But I there's no way that someone's gonna take that dog and put her in a shelter. Like give her up. She's way too good of a dog. Which kinda fucking makes me mad. Um, all right. Uh, well, <laughs> on a downer, let's get cheered up with a little I Dream of Jesse. All right. <laughs> Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assume that was part, I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests that you may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle, he forgot to add the preservatives. Now the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it, call the number on the bottle and complain. Have you ever stopped and questioned what it means to rejoice in the fleshly life? I did the first couple of times I read the Satanic Bible, and I started questioning it again recently. I'm not a spiritual person, so everything I rejoice in is here and now and in this life, 
But I don't believe that's all there is to it. I don't think the fleshly life is what's left when you remove the afterlife. A lot of technology and entertainment available to us, which I love and would not want to live without, it puts us up in our head rather than down in our body. I mean, when's the last time you saw a squirrel whip out a smartphone or analyze a spreadsheet? Where exactly do Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or numerous news feeds fit in with this fleshly life we're claiming to rejoice in? Time spent texting is time spent up in your head, with limited awareness of your surroundings. A couple of weeks ago, I brought in the bird feeders and glanced up at the clock. It was 7.44 p.m. That's early to be bringing in feeders in August. But the sky was overcast, rain was likely, and the birds had stopped feeding early. Birds do that. They're beasts in the field. Humans don't, or at least not humans like me, humans whose sleep schedule is largely controlled by a corporation. It makes sense to rise with the sun and sleep when it sets. Or if you prefer, rise when it sets and sleep when you get tired. I'm good with either. My point is that if you want to hold a steady 8 to 5 job, good luck telling your employer that you want to work longer hours in the summer and shorter hours in the winter in keeping with nature and what feels right with the body. The alarm clock is not the only intrusion we allow into our natural state. What about speed limits? Are you like me? Do you typically drive 5 to 10 miles per hour above the posted limit? which in the northeastern U.S. is a safe speed to go without fear of a ticket. But it's numbers controlling me. The sign says 35, I'm going 44. Am I going 44 because that's the fastest I can go while safely operating my vehicle, given the sudden stops I might need to make if someone's dog runs into the road? No, 44 is the fastest I can go without getting a ticket. So what about safety? What about that theoretical dog? What about counting calories or relying on expiration dates to determine if food is safe to eat? How fleshly is that? What about investments? I have investments, but if money is an abstract concept, then a mutual fund is an abstraction based on an abstraction. I will bet you a squirrel achieves much more satisfaction, much more fleshly rejoicing, in burying and retrieving acorns than I do electronically transferring wealth and watching totals rise and fall. Maybe it's just me. Maybe because I'm the sort of person who tends to spend time analyzing data without actually needing to, that it's become a problem for me. You see, I never ever rejoice in the fleshly life while analyzing data. Spirituality isn't the problem. Being up in my head is the problem. Fortunately, holding as I do the attitude that you are never the problem, you are always the only person who can solve the problem, I put my analytical skills to use to find the best way to improve my life. I'm a very goal-oriented person, and I learned about goal-setting at a young and impressionable age. The system I was taught was called SMART Goals. It's an anagram that stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic, and Timely. Does that sound smart to you? First off, specific goals make the mistake of assuming you know what you're capable of. You don't. You never will. Try to set a goal for weightlifting and you'll find you've overestimated what some muscle groups can do in a given period of time and underestimated what others can do. Specific goals focus on an arbitrary endpoint rather than a meaningful journey. Measurable is good. I have no issue with measurable goals. An objectively measurable goal is one you can take full responsibility for without having to rely on honest criticism from others. I'm all for that. Attainable and realistic are redundant. They include both in order to make the anagram smart and not smat or smirt. 
Attainable and realistic are also both unnecessary. Do you really need to be told not to make your goal win the lottery or marry Orlando Bloom or achieve world domination with giant lasers in space? You know a pipe dream when you hear one and can differentiate it from a goal. Timely has the same problem as specific. You don't know what you're capable of and you can't predict how long some goals can take. Say you set out to write a novel in a year. It took two, three to get it published. Did you fail? Hell no. So fuck smart goals. They don't help. Let's instead focus on dumb goals. Dumb goals from a dumb blonde, my personal contribution to the personal productivity movement. Dumb stands for directed, unlimited, measurable, and better. Let's break that down. Directed means you're headed towards something, not seeking to attain it. Directed means if you want to be a writer, writing becomes what you do, and other things become what you do in your free time. Directed means if you want to live your life surrounded by people you love and cherish, then discrimination becomes a regular habit in your daily interactions. Directed goals don't need to be specific because they, in and of themselves, are of lesser importance than the journey they take you on. Directed implies the goal is subordinate to some kind of life mission. Got a life mission? If not, get back up in your head and stick with smart goals. Dumb goals are for dumb beasts. Unlimited means there's no time limit on achieving the goal. I don't care about timely goals. We overestimate what we can do in a day. We underestimate what we can do in a lifetime. Truly dumb goals will recognize that big, meaningful, rewarding, life-affirming changes are attained in small increments implemented over long periods of time. You can't rush these things. It's more about long-term habit change than anything that can be accomplished in a measurement of months. You can fake what you can become over the course of a few months. You are what you do over the course of a few years. Measurable means the same as it does with SMART goals. As I said, I like measurable. Being able to measure progress is immensely motivating. This is especially true with unlimited long-term goals. You won't learn a new language overnight, but you can objectively measure weekly your skills in learning a language to know that you are getting better and that the effort you put in daily is paying off. Measurability of goals is key. Better means not giving a shit whether the goal is attainable or realistic. You don't know what you can attain. You don't know what's realistic. Not over the long run. Directed goals set you on a path. Better goals make sure every step you take on that path is a step forward. So no matter how far you get, you're better off than you were. Squirrels just bury what they can, and with every acorn they bury, they're better off. Equitable would have been another good word to use here, because the amount of effort you put in should be reflected in how much better your life becomes. If you work hard, a well-chosen goal should reflect that fairly. I didn't go with equitable, though, because that would have made the anagram doom, D-U-M-E, which wouldn't have been so bad if it was D-O-O-M, because then I could have given this episode a catchy title like, Set Goals That Doom You Forever! Mwahaha! But I'm not clever enough with the language to make a D-O-O-M anagram work, so we'll just stick with being D-U-M-B. When you set a goal that is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, you have to deal with the upfront analytical work of determining if a goal is attainable and what steps are necessary to complete it, and how much time will each step take, and how much free time do you have to commit to the project, and how many months does that push out the deadline given your current workload, etc., etc. Monitoring your performance requires more time spent up in your head doing analysis. All of the technology we have available to us certainly makes SMART goals easier, but I don't believe making a bad thing more bearable is necessarily the best idea. 
When you set a goal that is directed, unlimited, measurable, and better, there are still data-driven check-ins, but they're less specific and far less frequent. This is because the path is good. The journey, however slow or fast one progresses on it, is in the right direction. The end point is not specific, it's, it's just a direction, so there's no pressure to reach it. There's no it to reach. Nor is there any failure in changing direction as your life changes, because you already succeeded in making your life better by heading in the old direction for as long as you did. The biggest problem with SMART goals is you become a slave to them, constantly having to get back up in your head to be sure you're on schedule. The biggest advantage to dumb goals is that the less time you spend up in your head, the more time you can spend being aware of your body and your surroundings and feeling rather than analyzing the ways in which dumb goals are making your life better and better. And that is something to rejoice in. This is Darren Deicide. You starve for the facts, but you can't find them. You know you are tangled in a web of spin, and you don't know which way to turn. Join me as I broadcast Agent Provocateur from the bowels of the barracks, where we deconstruct global affairs, pulling up the ugly truth and smearing the hypocrisy in the faces of the masses. Join me only if you're prepared to question everything you may have believed to be true and have a few laughs in the process. This is Agent Provocateur. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us, as always, is the very beautiful first Old Nick chick, which Marilyn Mansfield and her handsome beau, senior editor Zoth, Warlock Zothamog. How are both of you today? We are good, thank you. Yes, we are doing well, thank you, Adam. Sweet. Um, a little bit of a... <laughs> just to be open and honest, I've had... A couple of drinks, <laughs> so I'm gonna do my damnedest to keep it together. So have we. <laughs> Sweet. Hell yeah. All right. I feel better then. We were on the beach all day, so you know we came home and uh, yeah, we're relaxing now. Have, it's been cocktail hour. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. That is awesome. So let me ask you: being on the beach, is it is it hot sun pounding on you, or you got a nice overcast breeze going? No, it was hot sun pounding on me, so that's why I had on a uh, long black skirt and long black, <laughs> um, long sleeve uh, sweater thing. I don't know. I don't so know why I go to the beach. <laughs> you were blending in pretty well at the beach then? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the Adams family at the beach. That's you know. sweet. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a, I, I, I don't know if it's just like a nowadays thing or if it's, you know, people being a little overzealous, but there's a fair amount of either you are all in for tanning or you are all out 
for tanning. I don't see a lot of mixing like, oh, if I get a little sun, it's okay. It's usually like yeah. SPF yeah. a thousand or <laughs> nothing at all, yeah. and I'm actually rubbing butter on my skin. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am like trying to not tan. <laughs> we definitely have to fall out. Right, right. You know, but the kids, they like to swim and that sort of thing. So, you know. I, I, I totally <laughs> dig it. For about an hour or two. Yeah, we, then, don't, we don't stay long. And then we're we done. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids. Let's go to Nathan's. Nice, nice. All right, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little old Nick peep show. It's been uh, it's been a little while. We've had time to dive into the new issue of Old Nick Magazine, and I've been I well let me just say I've had a hard time getting past Jezebel, <laughs> this, the centerfold of this this one. She is so good, damn good looking. So I may be hang, you know a bit hung up on that one. I'm sure there's other things in the magazine too that were great and wonderful, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah with the uh, thro- the throwback issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 Yeah, she's she was so good. Yep. Oh man, I I love me, and that's that's one of those things where, um, you know, for okay, this is probably gonna sound a little racist, and <laughs> I don't mean it to be, <laughs> but it probably will. Um, I I love me some ladies, and. Uh, if if you can score some Latin gals, I totally dig it. But there is something about milky white skin that I completely am jiving with as well. So it, it's really cool because this issue had kind of a little bit of everything in it that was, I mean, it just spoke to all different manner of tastes. It was really nice. Um, so... Since the last time uh, we have spoken, I've gotten some correspondence. And this is, I mean, it's not unusual that I get a lot of feedback based on what we talk about. So uh, one listener in particular was really interested in sort of how uh, how Old Nick Magazine uh, came to be, how it, how it carved a niche out for itself amongst all the other adult magazines um, and, and I'm hoping that we can not only speak a little bit to that, but maybe also to what sets it apart, if there were challenges in, in carving uh, its, its own space out, as it were. So maybe if we can start at the top, and, and for the listeners' sake, quickly here. Um, sure. I have talking, uh, spoken to uh, Master Johnson, and he is on an earlier episode of Nine Cents. And though some of what we are going to be talking about may parallel with what we've spoken to before, I do recommend everyone go back and listen to those earlier episodes uh, because it'll add a bit of clarity and uh, maybe an alternate perspective to what uh, we're speaking to. So it's always useful for everyone. But um, for uh, for this episode... Um, if, if you two could maybe give us a little bit of background on, on where old Nick comes from. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I was, uh, of course, always interested in old Nick since, um, it came out. So, you know, I was always, uh, you know, how it became what it is today always was, uh, interest to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so basically, you know, uh, Magister Johnson, um, created Old Nick 
as a um, tribute to the 6606 event in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he always wanted to uh, publish a, a, a sort of a darker uh, Playboy, Playboy with horns, as he calls it. And um, he thought that would be the perfect uh, time and place to launch it. You know, um yeah, and the people who attended the event really liked the magazine. It, it was met with a lot of enthusiasm and interest, you know, so he decided to make it a regular publication, you know, and as more issues began to come out, you know, more models uh, began inquiring, readers wanted more, artists and writers started to contribute, so the magazine became, you know, a, a regular thing. It wasn't just like this one-time event. And, you know, what's different, people always ask what's different about Old Nick is, you know, the magazine uh, kind of fills a void. You know, there's porn and nudity all over. But um, this was a, a, a men's magazine, you know, that really embraced the, the law of the forbidden, you know, by, by showing old school, you know, tease nudity and, um, you know, uh, just like, you know, class into retro pinup photos to, you know, um, gothic uh, styled photography, you know, everything with a, uh, a, a decidedly dark. Band. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, so it had all this like awesome stuff, you know, in one magazine. And it was, un- it still is unlike any other, you know, magazine out there like that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, one of a kind uh-huh. and um, the first, I would say, you know. I definitely think it's the first. Yeah. And, 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 and it appeals to a, a large audience of, you know, not just Satanists, but like goths and horror buffs, musicians. You know, they all read Old Nick because it delivers not only just news, but it also has, you know, the articles, the art, the fiction that you can't really find anywhere else. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a... It's, become iconic in a sense where it's just uh, uh, something that you can't I, I hate to repeat myself but you can't really find it anywhere else no you can't and now you know it, it, you know keeping up with the technology and all that you know it went digital right. it's like you know it, it has expanded so much well now with the digital and, and, right. yeah the skin mags and right, uh, exactly. you know I mean it's, it's, it's keeping up with the times but it's giving you you know, I don't know that it has a, it has a, a different feel to it. You know, it's it's like something you you would love 15 years ago and something you would love today. It's yeah. like timeless. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get what I mean, right? I <laughs> yeah, that's what I love about it. And um, well, let, let let me say this: it is incredibly original to have someone who has been in the industry and wanting to put together uh, an expression of Satanism in the way that they know best. Uh, and, and in this case, it's Master Johnson creating this sort of issue for the 6606 event um, and releasing it to the, those who attended. So, so it's his individual expression of this is what I know, so this is how I'm going to contribute to this event and make it worthwhile and this sort of one-of-a-kind thing. But then to get such a response from those who have had a copy and those who have heard about it but not actually seen it, who can't get their own hands on it, 
that so much of a, a, a fervor has been drawn up about it that he is compelled to start releasing it and inspires others to become involved in it and contribute so that it is a regular issued magazine. I mean, that's I, th- that's a completely different way to do <laughs> to, to produce a magazine than I've ever heard before. It, it's very original and it, it speaks not only to the passion of Magister Johnson, uh, uh, but also to those contributors and to those who truly do love what he is doing here. Um, and, and for, for a, a, a regular reader, um, slash viewer, I guess, uh, of this magazine, I mean, to you two, thank you very much for being a part of it and, and continuing it and helping it grow to what it is. I mean, it, it, it's really amazing being able to, um, consume, uh, what it's about, but also, uh, to Magister Johnson for just just keeping it going. I, I mean, that's that's really astonishing. It it, it must be challenging, I would imagine. It, you um, know, I yeah, I was just gonna say that. I remember when because we we were there for the beginning of the um the uh, Mad Cloud uh, thing, remember? And um, right. in the beginning, it, it was tough. It was tough to get a um, an on demand printer, you know. Um, and we we actually had to, you know. You know, Bob had to, um, you know, demand that it was a matter of free speech and things. I remember when all this was going on and, you know, Zaka was working with him yeah. on the website. And, you know, we, we found other um, uh, content on the site that was even, you know, just as or more uh, yeah. er- erotic. Sure. But it was because it was, you know, that, that you know, the S word, you know, it was... Um, it was uh, a little bit, a little bit, you know, of they gave a, us a little, little bit of a hard time yeah. there. They gave us a little bit of a hard time now, but you know, now it's like one of the best-selling uh, magazines on the spot. Oh yeah, now they love us. Now they love us. <laughs> <laughs> in the but in like, the beginning, well, I remember, yeah. you know, we had like a, a few days there where Zoth was, um, you know, dealing with MacLeod for the magazine, and they, you know, they had, and you know, Bob had to. Um, we had to go back and forth a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of going back and forth because they did not want to originally. It's right. They uh-huh. they didn't want to originally include it on the well, website. Well, it it could seem you know controversial to the yeah. to the mainstream because of its content. You know. I'm sure they. I'm sure they regret that now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to open that doors would... and yeah, and, and lead the way. That's the satanic way. Yeah. It is interesting because it's not overtly. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm going to do a little projection here, uh, trying to step out of my own shoes here. But when when you would think what others would think of a satanic magazine, you would think it would be kind of like over the top and like, you know, bloody altar people. And you would think it would be much more, uh, I don't know, overtly raunchy than Olding Magazine is. And so the expectation of a satanic-inspired adult gentleman's magazine versus what Olding Magazine is, I I think there's a significant difference there. And, and do you think that that getting over that hurdle of the expectation to what it actually was was the biggest problem? I think, um, you know, I think when people hear anything with the word Satanism or, you know, <laughs> anything 
they they just think, oh, what what right. the hell am I looking at over here? Right. Yeah. The, the, they probably didn't even look at the. Um, the assumption the, is always <laughs> is always greater than what right. what it actually is, and you know the devil is a gentleman. He likes his women to be classy, and you know what old Nick likes to do is you know play on the law of the forbidden. It's not about how much we show, but about how much is led to the um, the imagination. You know, so it's it's not so much about blood and and gore, and it's more about you know classy ladies and and the curves of the body. It's 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 unique all unto itself. I mean, it, it's, yeah. you know, let I me mean, ask we, about that. Be- uh, yeah, I mean, even when we um, even when we we promoted the magazine like at events and things like that, all kinds of people after they looked at the magazine liked the magazine even if they some people knew a satanic magazine you know some people didn't know you know and it they just at the end they they all said wow you you know this is a great magazine i mean we've we've shown it to all different kinds of people to you know bikers to uh satanists to horror fans to you know uh i don't know um (laughs) Hipsters, yeah. you know, any, any, and and all of them, can't, they you can't deny it's a beautiful magazine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, it's the right people always gravitate to right, it exactly, and, and understand it immediately, right? You know, and these are the people who you know become instant fans who want to you know advertise their business businesses in the magazines or who want to contribute or who might know a model who wants to be who could be a part of it like they immediately are just like whoa this is great you know so that that's that's who the magazine's for really all right and and because the magazine you know is is controversial whatever tackling but, but it's not about being shocking, though, matter you know, it, yeah but you know it it might be a little difficult to attract you know mainstream advertisers and things like that but the people who do advertise and do contribute you know, it works for them, right, exactly. and they reach the people they want to reach out to. So that's all that matters, you know. But you know, so I mean, but to me, it's a high quality magazine. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that because I mean, early on, we we spoke a little bit about um, some of the early hurdles in getting MagCloud to publish it, um, and then just the the general. Um, concept of the magazine being a gentleman's a little more law of the forbidden less revealing all but was there ever because you do offer a a skin mags version which is much more revealing than than the traditional mag cloud version so was there ever concern about offering that and thereby altering the concept of the magazine I, I think, you know, the skin mags uh, wasn't always available, but again, it's keeping up with the times, you know? Yeah. Um, some people like an, uh, uh, you know, X-rated, um, you know, type of stuff, mm-hmm. and some people don't, you know? Um, I think it was just a, a thing of keeping up with the times, and there are a lot of models who write, and, and they, they do this kind of modeling, you know, and um, they, they want to be an old Nick. Uh-huh. So it was kind of, you know, a mix of, you know, a lot of things. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, bringing it up to to speed with everything going on today. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, this is, you know, 
we got to keep up with the times somewhat. <laughs> right. And, and what Skin Mags offers the old Nick um, subscriber that, that Mag Kyle does not is that Skin Mags also offers, you know, video clips that, that are included within the digital format of the magazine. So, you know, a lot of the models who, you know, who do contribute to Old Nick magazine do have videos that, that we can include within the issue. So now for those who want to go a little deeper and darker into the content, they can check out the skin mags and see a little bit more of their favorite models, you know, in, in live action and in models. Whoa, in, uh, I video. did not know, know, know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And, you know, and we're going to be doing a lot more with the technology. I mean, we're looking into, like, doing, like, Skype sessions with some of the models. You Whoa. know, and, I mean, yeah. You know, like, we... we Is Jezebel down? Uh, what was that? <laughs> Is Jezebel down? <laughs> uh, well, you know, we might maybe it'll make that happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, without revealing too much, you know, we're, we're looking into utilizing the, the technology that's available to us. And as just as you said right now, you know, we listen to the feedback of our fans and if you know you want to Skype with Jezebel then maybe we could that's something we got to work on you know it's, mm-hmm. it's all about you know uh, listening to the 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 readers um, requests and that was you know part of the original idea of, of putting the skin mags um, editions out is you know to get to see a little bit more uh, of the models I you know I'm I understand how like you know some people like it a little bit more classy, and some people like it a little bit more raunchy. So why not appeal to all? Right. I really, I, I mean, we've spoken to in the past of of Old Nick paying attention to its readership and yeah. adjusting its vision based on what the readers want. I never thought about it from the model perspective. Like I am, if if I were an adult model and I wanted to present myself in a specific way, that the magazine would actually catered in some measure to that that's like i never even thought about that aspect of it yeah well you know you know that's the beauty of technology is that you know if you can think about it you can do it you know (laughs) yeah yeah if you shoot the nudie they will come you know if you click on the picture she'll animate you know it's like oh Awesome. Right. You don't just flip the pages anymore. It's like you can actually see a little video clip along with it. It's, but we, it's, we should say not every model is on the no, no, no. That's in the magazine. Well, mm-hmm. you know, not every model right. has a video clip. Right. We should right, say, right. You know. But a lot of the, you know, models are adult actresses. Right. And, yes. and they are, you know, they are definitely willing to give us content to populate the magazine. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of the Skin Mag edition is that you can get the video clip. Well, that's really cool. Well, for for those models out there who are into the more uh, open and revealing, but also to the models who would like to have it a little bit more traditional um, with Old Nick, how would they get in contact with you in order to be featured in Old Nick magazine? Um, well, um, obviously the uh, decision is up to uh, Bob, of course, but you can submit to info at oldnickmagazine.com. I would recommend sending um, the best photos you have, recent photos, um, you know, and... Um, Short little bio, contact them. Yeah, your, your info, your age, uh, you know, uh, proof of age if you are, um, you know, Young approved. <laughs> no, everyone has to be, you right, know, right. everyone has to show identification and all that, so... 
you know, it's just better to put this all out there before, <laughs> right. you know, and, and don't send, you know, cell phone pictures in your bathroom and that kind of thing. Like, you know, <laughs> send nice pictures. <laughs> but uh, not saying that that happens, but I'm just saying, you know. Not saying we don't like to look at them either. Right, right. I'm saying that, but, you know. These are all good. And, you know, include but, information if you have your own photographer, if you're able to do, you know, new photos, things like that is always helpful. So Yeah, info at oldmix.com. And, you know, yep. you can always uh, find us on Facebook or Twitter. You know, there's, there's always ways to reach out to us. But that, that's nice. the best way to, to submit is info at oldmixmagazine.com. And, and I would like to add that, most of the ideas for old Mick are are conceived while you and Magister Johnson are having bourbon and cigars. So well, it, it's it starts foul class. Well, yeah. And I try to smoke cigars, remember, but that no, does not, not work. Yeah, that, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work for me. I still have no voice. I can't keep up with the big boys, as they told me. But well, <laughs> you're, not, you're not supposed to. Well, what do I know? I never smoked cigars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I have to say it was actually Old Mick Magazine that got me into cigars. Uh, yeah, it was I think a uh, feature in it. Well, <laughs> but it's so cool to like watch them like you know having drinks and cigars over like an open fire and coming up with these you know ideas for Old Nick, you know, and um, it's 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 great, you know. It's just it's it's so real in what it is. That was the yeah. point of. This. <laughs> yep. There's nothing I'd rather be doing. Yeah, and and Mattis <laughs> Johnson is half with horse. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I dig it. I think it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> early on, you did mention briefly that um, you know, Old Ink Magazine has a specific demographic, and that uh, those who partner up and advertise with Old Nick speak to their tailored audience. So I was wondering. Is the contact information the same for people who would want to advertise with Old Nick? Absolutely. Yeah, everything goes to info at oldnickmagazine.com. If it takes a little bit to get back to you, don't worry. Someone will get back to you. But that is the main email for ads, for submissions, and for model um, uh, submissions as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there it is. Uh, Contact Info at Old Nick Magazine if you want to uh, be considered for not only your business, but also your own uh, photos uh, or, or just yourself if you want to be featured in Old Nick Magazine. Um, and who knows? Maybe you're the, the next centerfold. Uh, I'm still going to be dwelling on Jezebel for a little while. So <laughs> no offense to potential uh, uh, people being featured. Um, okay, so that being said... Uh, I, I think I think we covered everything here, uh, and we know it's never quite enough. But you can find out a little bit more and experience quite a bit more of Old Nick Magazine online. So, could you tell us uh, where we can go to find that? Sure, you can visit the site at oldnickmagazine.com. You can find us on Facebook, um, Twitter is Old Nick Magazine, and then you can follow me at Old Nick Chick. Um, anything else? Oh, the Pinterest. Pinterest. Um, what else? Uh, a little bit it. everywhere. <laughs> you know, we're on Mad Cloud. We're on Skin Mag. Yeah, all the links are on. Uh, you know, oh. the official site. Right. So, if you just go to oldnickmagazine.com, all of our links 
to all of our social media is there and you can find us all over the web. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining me. As always, it's always a pleasure. Uh, every time we speak, a little bit more. I, I feel like I learn a little bit more about Old Nick, and it is uh, <laughs> such an exciting experience to get this sort of behind-the-scenes look and at the same time enjoy uh, the magazine in and of itself and the website and stuff. So thank you both very much for your time. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you, Adam. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, until we can speak again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. segment of the Nine Cents Radio Podcast is The Satanic Tradition. I'm your host, the Reverend Robert Merciless of the Church of Satan. In this part of the podcast, we examine the history of Satanism. It's a history of art, magic, politics, superstition, fear, rebellion, and liberation, all elements of what I call the Satanic Tradition. In the previous installment of The Satanic Tradition, which ran here on Nine Cents Podcast on July 20th, I started talking about the elements of modern Satanic ritual as outlined in the Satanic Bible and the historical background for those elements. In this installment, we'll continue along those lines. Anton LaVey's view was that prior to the establishment of the Church of Satan, the closest precursors to LaVey's modern satanic ritual was the ceremonial magic practiced in the late 19th and early 20th century occult orders, including Aleister Crowley's Order of the Silver Star, or Argentium Astrum, the Order of Oriental Templars, the OTO, and in particular, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. The modern satanic ritual practice of facing and calling toward the four points of the compass and the practice of reciting the Enochian keys are elements which are heavily shaped by the magic of the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn was a group of men and women established in England in 1887 to study, develop, and practice ritual or ceremonial magic. It lasted about 13 years before a series of conflicts led to splits in the organization such that by the late 1930s it was mostly defunct. Golden Dawn documents are generally available. A guy named Israel Rigardi published a massive book of Golden Dawn rituals starting in 1937. It's still in print today. It's titled simply The Golden Dawn and contains 700 pages of tedious pretentious ceremonies and explanations of the order. Membership comprised 12 hierarchical grades. There are ceremonies for each grade as well as uh, rituals for magical effect. Golden Dawn magic is a mishmash from just about every occult practice you've ever heard of. It relies heavily on the Jewish mystical practice known as Kabbalah, which associates 
magical powers to Bible verses, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and their numerical values. They mix this Kabbalistic tree of life with symbolic associations from the tarot cards, the constellations of the zodiac, the planets, and so forth. To this they add a smattering of Egyptian imagery and a great deal of glorification of Jehovah of the sort found in medieval magical grimoires. Mostly Golden Dawn magic calls on angels for magical assistance. It's generally quite Judeo-Christian in tone. For example, the basic daily ritual practice of the Golden Dawn member is to face east, uh, cross himself, and then say in Hebrew, Thou art the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He then faces to each of the four directions in turn, traces a pentagram in the air with a dagger, invoking four of the names of Jehovah, and acknowledging the four angels, Raphael, Gabriel, Michael, and Ariel. Uh, the basic idea of Golden Dawn magic is that the magician, by becoming spiritually united with Jehovah through devout meditation and visualization, can command the power of spiritual beings like angels. For example, in one of the more advanced Golden Dawn rituals for evocation, the magician would say, O ye great lords of the royal kingdom, ye powers of Malkuth, which receives the wisdom and power of the ten Sephiroth, yea, I invoke and conjure you. Cause the mighty angel Axir to perform all my demands. O thou mighty angel, I do command and conjure thee not in my name, but by the majesty of Adonai Haaretz, that thou teach me the mystery of the earthly self of man, and how it may be made creative, and swear that thou will always appear before me, coming whensoever I call thee." So you get the idea. The Golden Dawn is unquestionably a white light, right-hand path magical system. But the founders of the order amassed from the manuscript archives of the British Library and elsewhere such a broad collection of esoteric magical elements that included that it included in the pile a number of gems useful for left-hand path black magic. Anton LaVey had all this material and was savvy enough to identify and adapt those usable parts. Thus the Golden Dawn was the inspiration for at least two important parts of modern satanic ritual as it is practiced today. First, the portion in which the magician conducting the ritual faces sequentially to each of the four directions of the compass and calls forth a cosmic power associated with each of the four classical elements. And second, the closing portion of the ritual in which the magician recites one of the mystical poetic calls known as the Enochian Keys. Now let's talk about those four directions. As mentioned in the last episode, one of the parts of the standard ritual of modern Satanism today involves the Satanist calling forth the four crown princes of hell. Each of the four crown princes are associated with the four cardinal points of the compass and the four classical elements of earth, air, fire, and water. From the south, Satan, 
the Prince of Fire. From the east, Lucifer, the Prince of Air. From the north, Belial, the Prince of Earth. And from the west, Leviathan, the Prince of Water. Now this association makes a direct connection between the earth, the powers of hell, and the satanic magician performing the ritual. Well, the names of the four crowns, uh, the, the four crown princes, stem from the early 15th century ritual magical book known as the Book of Abramelin. The calling of forces from the four points of the compass is a practice which derives largely from the Golden Dawn. The association of the four directions with the four classical elements is quite old. Some students of the history of magic may know that in the early 1500s, the German scholar of magic, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, in his second uh, of three books on occult philosophy, offered a set of correspondences. In, in Agrippa's work, south was associated with earth, east with fire, north with water, and west with air. But this is not the system of correspondences used by LaVey for modern satanic ritual. The direction and element correspondences used in satanic ritual mirror those found in the magical ceremony of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. In both the Old Golden Dawn ritual and in the satanic ritual today, south is associated with the classical element of fire. East is associated with air, north is associated with earth, and west is associated with water. Now, LaVey kept these correspondences. But while the Golden Dawn calls angels from those directions, LaVey calls the four crown princes of hell. There are two other important symbolic differences. First, while the white magicians of the Golden Dawn start this directional portion of their ritual facing east, the direction from which the Bible says the Messiah will come, the Satanist begins the ritual facing west. He has turned his back on the Messiah. Second, the Golden Dawn performs the ritual turning clockwise from direction to direction, while the Satanist turns counterclockwise, or Wittershins, a movement attributed to the devilish dances of witches in the Middle Ages. For example, in the trial of Agnes Simpson for witchcraft in England in 1590, she reportedly confessed that she and other witches showed their courtesy to the devil by turning several times, quote, Wittershins about, close quote, which means turning around or moving in a circle in a counterclockwise direction. So it's for this traditional reason that circular motions in satanic ritual are made to the left or counterclockwise. Now let's talk about the Enochian keys. The standard form for the conduct of satanic rituals as published in the satanic Bible calls for the Satanists to close the ritual at the end with a recitation of an Enochian key or call. This is another element that came into satanic ritual by way of the Golden Dawn but is in fact centuries older. The Enochian calls take the form of poetic psalm-like incantations either by or about a god and his power and followers on the earth. The god in question is not named. Over the centuries, the occultists using the keys have generally presumed the god to be Jehovah. The orthodox Christian view today, however, is that the keys are dark and demonic, a reputation that perhaps led LaVey to include them as a standard part of satanic ritual. 
there are 19 of these keys. By way of an example, here is the 17th Enochian key. Ilasa dial pereta soba vaupaahe kahisa nanuba zodixa la eo do dasi he od berinuta fakisa hubaro tasa taka yolasa soba iad ivonupe ehi o Onu ehi aladonu dax ila odto oatare zodakare od zoda maranu oro kikale qua a zodorege lape zodoredo noko mada hoatahe. O thou third flame, whose wings are thorns to stir up vexation, and hast myriad living lamps going before thee, whose god is wrath in anger, gird up thy loins and hearken. Move, therefore, and appear. Open the mysteries of your creation. Be friendly unto me, for I am the same, the true worshipper of the highest and ineffable King of Hell. Note that there is both a phonetic transliteration of the key in the rather barbaric-sounding Enochian language, and there is also an English translation. The full story of the Enochian keys and the path by which they came to be included in the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey is long, complex, and rather interesting. As LaVey states in the Satanic Bible, his primary source for the keys was the material of the Golden Dawn. While the founders of Golden Dawn began using the Enochian keys in their rituals in the late 19th century, the keys themselves actually date to the late 16th century, 300 years before the Golden Dawn. They were first written in about 1584 by the English mathematician and occultist John Dee. D was a good Christian scholar who was convinced that he had developed a capability to communicate with the angels of Jehovah and that these angels had conveyed to him a system of magical power. His method was what can be described as a series of seances in which D's hired spirit medium or scryer Edward Kelly would look deeply into a mirror polished slab of black obsidian stone and state out loud what he saw and heard. D would write it down. They did this over a period of seven years, recording an extensive amount of material, most of it a jumble of Christian and esoteric silliness. This included scores of graphic grids or magic squares filled with letters long discourses of prophecy and philosophy for Christian nature, and the revelation of the language spoken by the angels, originally used by Adam, supposedly, and later known to the apocryphal biblical prophet Enoch. Thus, D referred to the language as angelical, because it came from the angels, but subsequent users have called it Enochian, and so we use that term today. Amidst this lengthy and vast supposed dictation, uh, 
These diary and notes reflect that the 19 keys dictated to him through Kelly by these angels over the three-month period from April 10th to July 13th, 1584. For centuries, historians have debated about the degree to which Edward Kelly was a fraud. John D. paid him for seven years. Kelly dutifully stared into the showstone and said stuff for D. to write down. A modern skeptic would understandably assert that the Kelly was snookering D. to keep the paychecks rolling. A lesser skeptic might simply suggest that Kelly was delusional and actually believed that he was seeing and hearing things via a shiny rock. Both explanations seem plausible on the surface, but a deeper look at the way in which the keys were transmitted conveys a pretty believable case for another explanation. All 19 of the keys were initially conveyed to Dee and Kelly in the Enochian language. Only at the end were the English translations provided. Dee's subsequent matchup of the English translations with the Enochian original verses reveals a shocking degree of linguistic consistency. Kelly would have had to have been a mental genius in order to consciously make up a workable language and then keep it straight in his head while delivering the keys over a three-month period. From what we know about Edward Kelly, it's pretty clear he did not have the brains to pull off a stunt like that. This is why occultists have given great reverence to the Enochian keys over the centuries because the manner of their transmission makes it seem that perhaps they did indeed originate from some occult spiritual beings. A Satanist, however, might posit an explanation more consistent with the theories of Carl Gustav Jung about the nature of the human unconscious mind. Specifically, that Edward Kelly had read so many old, magical, and alchemical texts and stared into that black rock for so many years that his unconscious mind formulated the keys by a combination of Kelly's past readings and the human archetypes resident in the human collective unconscious buried deep in Kelly's brain. As far as I can tell, of all the material resulting from the seven years of crystal gazing, only the Enochian keys from this three-month period carry this surprising level of validating internal consistency. Furthermore, the, over the course of seven years, the angels Kelly claimed to be in contact with included many known from the Bible or Christian folklore, such as Uriel, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, etc. The keys, however, were conveyed by an angel named Nalvage. Now, what the hell kind of angel name is Nalvage? Perhaps not an angel at all. Unlike the other angels dictating content to Kelly, Nalvage is not one found in the Judeo-Christian mythos. He first appears to Kelly and Dee in February of 1584 and then, after some preliminary matters, conveys the keys starting the following April. Now, this is his primary role. Knowledge's final 
appearance was on Friday, July 5th, a day in which English translations were provided to Dean Kelly. On the following Monday, after a weekend, on July 9th, Gabriel tells them that Nalvage is called away and cannot be in dialogue with them until Wednesday. That day, they asked why Nalvage and Gabriel were absent from the proceedings, and the replacement angel, Ilamis, said it was due to, quote, spiritual contention between Satan and them, and more than man can or may understand, close quote. So, Ilamis then delivers the English for the seventh key, and the next day with Gabriel, the nineteenth, and the final key, the last one to be translated, thus completing the project. So, Nalvage delivered everything except for the last two. One could read between the lines to imagine that perhaps Nalvage was some kind of satanic double agent, infiltrating the angelic work, most of which is tedious and useless Christian esoteric silliness, and secretly delivering to mankind, through D. and Kelly, the only part of the entire corpus of material which actually produced magical effect. I found one particularly delicious clue that, to me, strengthens this little demonic fantasy of mine. In dictating the very first key, Nalvage spells out the word for truth in Enochian, which is vo-oan, V-O-O-A-N. Then he stops and corrects himself, saying that vo-oan is spoken with them that fall, but va-oan, V-A-O-A-N, with good loyal angels that are glorified. He says, the devils have lost the dignity of their sounds. So, two different words for truth. One, the demonic version, vo-oan, and then he, oops, corrects himself and says, no, no, actually the, 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 the way to pronounce it with the good angels is va-oan. And dutifully, D, in his final version, wrote vo-oan, then lined through the devilish form of the word and wrote the more glorified va-oan over the top of it. Later, when the word appears in the third and in the eighteenth keys, however, no correction is made. Nalvage dictates and D writes down the word as vo-oan, the form of the word used by the fallen angels. So, I like to take this as a hidden clue from Nalvage to us that the Enochian keys are in fact demonic creations. So, in summary, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was not a satanic organization, but it was a conduit for esoteric knowledge from older sources. The Golden Dawn did not invent the practice of associating cardinal directions with spiritual beings and with the classical elements of the earth, air, fire, and water. Likewise, the Golden Dawn did not invent the system of Enochian magic. They appropriated both of these things into their own rituals which later became public. In so doing, they both preserved and showcased some usable aspects of ceremonial magic, which Anton LaVey was later able to separate out from the rest, much as a farmer separates the wheat from the chaff or the sheep from the goats. 
And that, my dear friends, is how the use of the four directions and the Enochian keys became firmly established within the Satanic tradition. That's going to do it for another show. We hope you enjoyed it. Jesse, where can the fine listeners find you online? They can follow my blog, which is Drafts from a Satanic Windbag at WordPress.com. I tweet at, at Dan Bucky, and they can email me at idojesse gmail.com. Nice. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So reach out to Jesse. Let her know what you think of the segments. Check out her blog, um, Drafts from a Satanic Windbag. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. Uh, visit the website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents to get updated on weekly topics. And from time to time, I post a call for questions on those different social networking sites as well, or some other correspondence or news items that come up. So, uh... You know, if you have the time, if you're on the network, check it out. Uh, you can download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, YouTube. Check us out there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes and uh, by searching 9 Cents. And don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. There's a lot of other satanic podcasts that have been started. If you want us to remain number one, because we are number one... <laughs> <laughs> For a fucking reason. Hey, let me let me just say this. I, we were talking about a bloviated egos earlier. Um, I have a realistic sense of what Nine Cents is. Um, of, of the audience, because I hear from you, that we have. Um, I, I don't know of any other satanic podcast that has ever existed that can even match the talent... And I'm not talking about myself here. The talent and the knowledge that goes into Nine Cents. We have some of the most amazing guests, which, of course, every podcast tries to get the best guests. But the people that aren't guests, that just contribute, Jesse, for example, they speak more and they they provide more to Satanism, to what it means, the greater Satanic conversation in this world than any other podcast out there through the history of podcasting or online radio. Hands down, undeniable, straight up. If you're missing out on these weekly episodes, it's fine. It is all available. But you are missing some amazing satanic wit and thought and just truly at the core of all of it, entertainment. So do yourself a favor. And in the process, do us a favor. Listen to the show. Share nine cents. Become educated about Satanism and about Satanism in our world. Because it's not kids living in the basement talking in as deep voices as they can muster. It's not wearing dark clothes and hiding. It's about opening up and standing in the, in the goddamn open air, appreciating the views that you have, the life that you're living, and demanding that everyone bows down to what you bring to the table. Respect it, because whatever it is, if you're a Satanist, you're giving it 
everything that you can possibly give and you're doing it in the best possible way that you can and you're being a productive part of whatever society you're a part of yeah but i am actually technically huddled in the dark right now because <laughs> you know the sun was up when we started this and and i haven't gotten up to turn a light on god damn it <laughs> Alright, truth be told, I'm kind of in the dark too, but it just has to do with the sun! <laughs> Not because I'm in a basement. <laughs> Fuck. Alright. <laughs> and remember, everyone, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit Church of Satan. That was another really great double dutch jump in there. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, people. Um, visit churchofsatan.com to learn all about the Church of Satan and Satanism. Uh, it is literally the only website that speaks to Satanism. If you're going other places, you're not getting it. And here's the other thing. Oh, goddamn. This isn't in my notes. I gotta, I gotta say this really quick. If you're getting Satanism from social networks, uh, one, you're retarded. And two, you're getting a retarded version of Satanism. You cannot expect to get true Satanic thought from a social networking site or trolls or people that live for social networking sites. Because they're living for the social networking, they're not living Satanism, or they're not living the uh, philosophy slash ideology. Essays have been written, books have been published. There are true sources of information, and social networking is not it. Go there for entertainment, go there for fun, go there for your friends and family, by all means. Understand that every business there is just trying to tap into your pocketbook. And every bit of true, like, satanic thought and information you're getting is sort of whitewashed. If you want it, go to the source, churchofsatan.com. Um, once again, and I guess in conclusion. <laughs> Longest in outro a, ever. I know, seriously. In our dark basements. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Jesse. I love it when you're on, Jesse. <laughs> and until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Okay, okay, who's the guest for the Great American? <laughs>